The message today is Asa, king of Judah. Asa, king of Judah. Lord, as we look at this man's life, may we learn a very, very important lesson. Lord, I turn to you to instruct our hearts in the name of Jesus. Amen. As we see the kings of Judah and of Israel, they are two separate nations. We see clearly the moving of God in both sides, both in Israel and in Judah. And the king's response determines the direction of the nation. Asa, the grandson of King Solomon, did what was right and good in the eyes of God in 2 Chronicles, the 14th chapter. He tore down the wicked idols. He destroyed the temples of Baal. The Asherah poles, which were a fertility goddess, he cut down and burned. He commanded Judah to seek after God with all of their heart. And in return, God gave him rest on every side. For 10 years, there was no attack on Judah. You understand where Judah was located, right at the crossroads, literally at the crossroads of trade and commerce for the world. There was Egypt below the Negev, and north above that was Mesopotamia, the Fertile Crescent. This Israel was right in the middle where all of the caravans had to go through. Every nation wanted to capture Israel. They wanted to control the trade routes. And so war was constant. And for 10 years, there was no war. But he had a very powerful army. Imagine an army of 500 and some thousand soldiers trained, ready for war with swords and slingshots and all the armaments that go with it for that day. It was a powerful army. Then the Cushite king marched from the south with a vast army of 300 chariots. Now you understand, a chariot in that day was like the Abram's tank is today. And Israel had no chariots. So this was a formidable army. And they were much larger, probably a million-man army. This was an impossible situation. Israel could not match them in men or in arms. In verse 11, Asa called to the Lord his God and said, Lord, there is no one like you to help the powerless against the mighty. Help us, O Lord our God, for we rely on you and in your name. We have come against this vast army. O Lord, you are our God. Do not let man prevail against you. Verse 12, the Lord struck down the Cushites. And the battle was won. The Cushites fled. And they lost an innumerable number of men. Do you understand in that day, it was not uncommon to have a battle 
a week long and lose two or 300,000 lives in that battle. This was bitter, face-to-face, hand-to-hand combat. No, no guns, no rifles, no bombs, no airplanes. This was meeting an enemy, looking him in the eye and killing him. And the, and the, the main soldier would be in the front and then coming off his sides in a V would be the protection for that man so that nobody could get at his back. And he would plow into the army with that V, killing. And if the main man took a person down, a soldier down, the ones coming behind would finish him so that it was utter devastation behind. And if the man in the front was powerful with his sword, he was invincible, except against chariots. Because chariots, they they carried long spears, and they had knives on the wheels. And so they could roll through with the horses trampling and utterly destroy an, an army that is just on foot. God delivered them. Now the Spirit of God, we're told in chapter 15, came upon Azariah. He went out to meet Asa as he was returning from the battle. And he said, listen to me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you when you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. Vital lesson still applies today. If you want God to be with you, do not sin against him. Go for what God is calling for. If you turn back from the Lord, he will turn back from you. I've watched it over and over and over. For a long time, Israel was without the true God, without a priest to teach, without the law. But they turned to the Lord, the God of Israel, and they sought him with all of their heart under King Asa, and they found him. Now, when Asa heard these words, he took great courage. Now, large numbers from, remember, it's Israel and Judah. Judah is where Jerusalem is. It's a small portion of the land of Israel. But because Jeroboam had sinned against God as the king of Israel, many of the people from Israel were flowing over into Judah. There was a brain drain. There was a soldier drain. Everyone was crossing out of Israel into Judah and enriching the nation. And the king of Israel became very angry about this. He wanted to find a way to stop the flow of his people leaving the nation. But Asa, encouraged by these words, began to build up all of the outer villages. He began to build walls around them, set in place gates, so they they would be very difficult for an invading army to take. And then he called all of Israel together, all of Judah, 
and they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers, with all of their heart and all of their soul. Now, first, there's a king who made that decision. And now there's a whole group of men and women coming out of Israel into Judah. And now all of the people of Judah seeing this and seeing God move, they're saying, we have to stand also with our king. And so they all came together and they made a covenant. All who would not seek the Lord, the God of Israel, were put to death. I mean, this was serious. This was, you make a commitment to the God of heaven because if you don't, you're going to cause God to turn aside from us. And without the presence of God with us, we're going to be destroyed. At this point, all of the nations were trembling. They were fighting against one another. There was bitterness and rancor among the nations. No one was at rest. But Asa was at rest. And they knew that their rest was dependent on this covenant with God that everyone should seek the Lord. So verse 15, all Judah rejoiced about the oath because they had sworn it wholeheartedly. They sought God eagerly and he was found by them. And the Lord gave them rest on every side. And now Asa does something that I respect him for. His grandma set up an idol to a foreign god. She had a position of honor and power. She was the queen mother, recognized as such. And because of her sin, King Asa said, you are no longer the queen mother and took away her throne. Took her out of the family of royalty because of her sin. It's one thing to deal with a stranger about their sin. It's another thing to deal with grandma. I wouldn't have wanted to sit down with my grandma when she was alive and say, grandma, I like your apple pie, but you're in sin. Whoa, who's going to talk to a grandma like that? Apple pie stops. He took grandma out because she was sinning against the Lord. She made an Asherah pole, which is a fertility pole in honor of the fertility goddess. It so broke Asa's heart that he cut the pole down with an axe. He broke it up and he burned it. Asa's heart was fully committed to the Lord. But finally, Basha, the king of Israel, became so upset and tired of the brain drain of people leaving Israel and coming over to Judah and building up the army of Judah. There were more than 250,000 soldiers from Israel that joined the army of Judah. And so he began to wall off Judah. He began to bring in fortifications to totally isolate Judah from the rest of Israel. And Asa saw this, and the king of Israel had a deal with the Syrian king Ben-Hadid 
Asa sent all of the money he could in gold and silver to Ben-Hadid and said, break the treaty with Israel so they will stop making war against us. And that's what happened. But it displeased the Lord. This man has walked righteous before God, but now in his worldly wisdom, he has made a decision that has upset the God of heaven. We heard this a little bit earlier today. I've never heard anyone say it before, but I know it's true. Jesus has free will. God has free will. And in response to our decisions, he makes decisions. And if we seek him with all of our heart, he blesses us. If we make decisions in our flesh and we become God, then he allows the consequences to flow that bring great pain and sorrow to our hearts. So the Lord sent Hanai, a prophet of God, to Asa. And he said this, because you relied, this is 2 Chronicles 16, verse 7, because you relied on the king of Aram and not on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Aram has escaped from your hand. Were not the Cushites and Libyans a mighty army with great numbers of chariots and horsemen? Yet when you relied on the Lord, we, he delivered them into your hand. For the eyes of the Lord range through the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. And Asa was so angry with this prophet he was enraged. He threw him in jail. Now, I want you to hear very clearly. The eyes of God are ranging through the earth. And he sees us. He sees that you're here. He sees us. And if we do what will please him, he will strengthen us. If we make decisions to compromise with sin, great catastrophe will happen in our lives. Now in verse 11, it says, The events of Asa's reign from beginning to end are written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. And in the 39th year of his reign, Asa was afflicted with a disease in his feet. His disease was severe. Okay, let's see cause and effect. He's been following Jesus faithfully. He's obeyed the commands of God. He's turned the whole nation toward the Lord. But then he begins to forget the Lord. And he makes decisions, political decisions, that he thinks are wise without seeking the counsel of God. They were comfortable decisions for him because now he sees himself as a big player on the political field. God didn't call him to be a big player on the political field. 
God called him to be the king of his people, to lead the people of Judah in righteousness, not in sin. He's been faithfully doing that, but suddenly he decides he's going to be a statesman on the political world field. And he makes a decision, a strategic decision to strip the resources out of Judah and give them to a wicked king when he doesn't know what God is doing. God wanted to kill this king and destroy the army of Aram. And if you read carefully the scriptures, you will find that Aram devastated Israel and Judah. He brought great sorrow upon the nation. He killed the women and the children. He was a wicked man. And God had determined to kill this man. And he was going to use the army of Judah as the executioner. And Asa has now thwarted the plan of God. So how does God respond? He gives him a disease on his feet, so he can't run around anymore. He can't walk anymore. And now God is waiting for Asa to get on his face in the temple before the Lord God of heaven and confess his sin and to ask for healing. Asa hardens his heart. He is still so angry, so enraged, that even in the midst of this severe disease of foot disease, I almost said foot and mouth disease, because it was his mouth that got him in trouble with God. He countered the plan of God. He would only seek help from the physicians. He would not ask the Lord God for healing. And this man died with sore feet, with the judgment of God on his life. Now, I want to look at the bigger picture with you for just a minute. Remember the story of Abraham? He's an Ur of the Chaldees. He's being told to go to a land. He's not told what land. He's just told, leave Ur of the Chaldees, leave Haran, leave Ur of the Chaldees, and go, and I'll show you where I want you to go. And God led him to Cana land. The crossroads, the power place. And what did Abraham say about that place? You remember his wife died. And he had to go to the inhabitants of the land that God had promised he would give him. And he had to ask for a burial place for his wife. And he paid for it. This was supposed to be his land, but he paid for it. Why? Because it wasn't his land yet. He was simply walking in promise. How does Abraham talk about himself? as an alien and a stranger in the land, as a sojourner. Now, please hear me. Abraham knew that Cana was not the final destination. 
He knew that even as he was in Cana land, there was another land that he belonged to. And his eyes were set on that other land, not on what God had promised him in this world. God has made me some amazing promises about what he's going to do here with revival. But I want to tell you very plainly, my eyes are not set on revival. My eyes are set on the other land. Remember what Jacob said when he was speaking with Pharaoh? He said, the years have been long and hard of my pilgrimage. On his pilgrimage. We have to begin to cultivate in our hearts a sense of the utter foolishness of this world and of everything this world has to offer, to turn my thoughts from this world and all of the things of this world toward Jesus, toward the place I'm destined to spend eternity. Now, this has to be cultivated, because everything rises up and claps and dances and say, take me, take me, I'm what you want. No, you're not what I want. I want heaven. I want Jesus. And so my eyes are not focused here. I may look like a fool here, but I'm only a sojourner. This is not my land. I'm not a citizen. I'm just traveling through. So we must work very carefully in our hearts and our minds to uncouple ourselves from everything that does not advance the cause of the kingdom of God. Will this party allow me an opportunity to advance the kingdom of God, or am I going to go there and just be foolish? Can I go here and witness that Jesus is the Christ? If I can't, don't go. Every area of life has to be measured by, is this helping me on my journey toward heaven? And am I helping others in this journey toward heaven? Because heaven is everything. The early church, the testimony of the early church was the expectancy of the immediate return of Jesus. That was their cry. Secondly, we need to work very carefully to be acquainted with heaven. To read the scriptures carefully and understand what heaven is about and who we're going to be with there. And as we focus our attention on heaven and those who are there, the longing of our heart grows to be there. how I would love to go sit down and talk with my dad today, but I can't. He finished his journey here, and he's now over on the other side. Part of what happens as you grow older is that you have more and more of those you love who have gone ahead of you. Grandma and grandpa, mom and dad uncles and aunts, 
Jesus and the whole cloud of witnesses, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. A whole cloud of witnesses who have gone ahead of us until finally you recognize that the land on the other side is much more important to your heart than what's going on here. This becomes second to what is best. Third, we must seek only the face of God. Not the hand of God, the face of God. Intimacy with Jesus. Intimacy with the Lord. You see, Asa forgot that he was on a journey toward another land. He thought Israel and Judah, that encompassed everything. It didn't. He thought his kingdom in Judah was the best and the most. It wasn't. It was only a shadow of what was coming in the Messiah. He could not have treated the Lord as he did had he seen the picture that Abraham saw. I'm a stranger in this land. Asa was in the same land, but he said, this is home. And he couldn't walk anymore. He did not work to become acquainted with heaven. You look at the great prophets of his day, they were all looking for the heaven, for the place, the abiding, the aboding place of God. That's what they wanted. Now finally, as I shared in the children's story, the most important thing we can do on this journey is to help one another on the journey. To go where we need to go, to do what we need to do, to encourage and help each other on the journey. Now, I mean this literally. On Maul, he sends me a text. He's getting off track. What do I do? Do I just say, well, Anmol, that's tough. Are you kidding me? I pick up the phone. I call him. I wake him up. I say, come on, Anmol, we're following Jesus. We're going to heaven together. Right? If, I, if I'm praying and I hear in the Spirit, Sandy's in trouble. What do I do? I call her. I say, Sandy, what's happening? And she tells me this woe. Okay, now I know how to pray for Sandy. In other words, as we're going through this journey, we're to help one another. We look around. We're to help each other on this journey and spare no expense in helping one another. I mean, this precious family that we took this big fish to and left at their door, why would we do that? To encourage this Christian family in the journey. They're not even a part of National Prayer Chapel. 
but they are because they're a part of the body of Christ. And so our heart is, how can we help one another in the journey with words of encouragement, with financial support as needed, with actions of love, in supplying each other with rebuke, encouragement, words of scripture, prayers, whatever we need to do to encourage one another in that journey. So I would ask you to just look around today. How are you going to help David and Catherine? How are you going to help Christian? How are you going to help Michael? How are you going to help William? Is there any of us today who do not need words of encouragement and love on this journey toward heaven? Do you never become discouraged and tired? Of course we do. That's why I'm saying, Peter, help your little sister. Make her life easy. Little sister, make your big brother's life easy. The joy of the journey is the love we share together because we're going to spend eternity together and we're going to talk about this time. This is a hard time for the prayer chapel. We're going to look back from heaven and say, wow, I'm glad you helped me. Do you think I'll forget when I'm in heaven what you did for me? Or what you're going to forget what someone here did for you? We're not going to forget that. It's precious to us. King Asa forgot about helping Judah walk with the Lord God of heaven. Instead, he became enraged, and it says he even persecuted some of the people of God. He treated them harshly. I'm sure because they rebuked him for how he treated the prophet. I want to walk with Jesus. I want to walk in love and compassion and mercy. And I know that Jesus' eyes are roving over the earth. And I know he sees me. And I know he sees you. And the promise is he will send his spirit to strengthen you. How would you feel if you knew right now Jesus' eyes stopped on you. He sees everything you're facing. He sees the impossibility of what you're facing. And he's come now to strengthen you. He has not come to do it for you. He's come to strengthen you as you do what he's asked you to do. Oh, I love Jesus. I love Jesus. I love Jesus with all my heart. He has been exceedingly kind to me. He has been exceedingly merciful to me. He has been to you also. Look from where he has brought us. Look at the wonder of taking us out of a life of wickedness 
of worldliness, of sin, washing us, cleansing us, restoring us. Be encouraged today. Heaven is our home. Almighty God, I'm overwhelmed with the wondrous love and mercy you've shown to us for the way you've carried the prayer chapel through the judgments, through the bitterness, through the anger. We have not been destroyed because you have looked upon us with mercy. Lord, thank you. We now wait upon you for revival in this city, for your great love to be poured out in this city. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen.